you found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians. We're in chapter 2. This morning, I just want to welcome you to Living Streams and welcome you to the online stream of Living Streams. Thankful that you are joining in with us this morning. I'm Pastor Greg Rubel, and um, we're excited to be here. I am. I'm excited to be here. I'm most excited that the Lord reminded me to turn my mic on so Larry didn't have a big problem back there thinking, like, what's going on? So, you know. Hey, this, uh, we, we've actually, you know, been in this pandemic, what, almost 10 months, maybe 11 months, something like that. And, uh, we've been growing as a church. So we've got several new families, uh, that are, are with us. And, uh, I wanted to invite you guys to come to a newcomers class on February 13th. It's going to be on a Saturday. So I want you to give me a Saturday and I'm going to tell you on that Saturday where we came from, what we're all about and what we want you to do. And it'll take all Saturday. So February 13th, and I'll reach out to you uh, to find out if you can come, and, and we'll do it in here, and we'll have plenty of space to spread out, and I think it'll be a, a, a good day. I'm excited that uh, we were thinking we might even have like 25 new people, um, so something like that. So pretty amazing um, what's going on. So so we're looking at First Thessalonians to help us encourage us in our pursuit of God during these pandemic days. And this morning you're going to hear about five habits of next level people. Actually, you're only going to hear about three of them because I ran out of time, um, you know, or I ran out of pages. Otherwise, we'd had too much to, to get. So we're only going to get three of them today. But five habits of next level people. And I'm going to go ahead and just read all of the scripture that I was going to cover originally. So let's start there. First uh, Thessalonians chapter two, verses one to 16. For you you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, But also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. 
And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that we can go to this word today and read it and be fed by it, encouraged, challenged, and uplifted. Um, We pray the Holy Spirit would be active uh, in our ears, in our hearts. We could hear your voice and we could know what you want us to do, how you want us to live, where you want us to go. Thank you that your grace is abundant (laughs) in this deep well of favor that we can dive into and never find the bottom of, and it's there for every need that we have, every heart that's hurting, every heart that's worried and fearful, every heart that's rejoicing. Lord, fill us up today with all the measure that we can take. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So one of the most popular genre of books that people write is Books that tell you how to live successfully. You know, so there, there, there are all kinds of them out there. But there's one that just printed their 30th anniversary book, and it's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. How many people have read that book? Yeah, so Stephen Covey wrote that book. He's the author. He died not too long ago. Uh, but he wrote it in 1989, and it, it sold 30 million copies. And so it's, it's a really popular book. Covey was influenced uh, by people like Peter Drucker, who is an Austrian businessman, and a guy named Carl Rogers, who is an American psychologist. But his greatest influence was the, the Mormon church. He was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So the, the, high, the habits of highly effective people are this. Number one, to be proactive in your life. Number two, to begin with the end in mind. So when you think about a journey that you're on, you want to think about the end, and that helps you know how to start. Number three is first things first, teaching you how to prioritize. Number four is thinking win-win when it comes to relationships and work. Number five is seeking to understand before being understood. Number six is to synergize using teams and strengths of people on those teams. And number seven is to keep sharpening your saw, which is all about growing in your life. Now, I read that book about 17 years ago, and I don't really remember much about it, but I'm sure it gave me plenty of things to do to work on to be a highly effective person. I should probably read it again, but instead of that, I would rather read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Because in there, there is some things that Paul talks about, some behaviors that that impact us a whole lot more than the seven habits of highly effective people. And it impacts us uh, in such a greater way because it has more to do than just living this life. It has to do with the next life. It has to do um, with our spiritual life. And so I want to focus my time and energy and my heart and yours on what the Bible's got to say about living life here. So here are five habits of next-level people, except you're only going to get three of them. Is that okay? 
So people on the next level make it a habit to be faithful to their calling. They make it a habit to be faithful to their calling. So Paul is remembering his visit to the Thessalonians here as this chapter gets going. He describes it as not being in vain. Okay, but the reason that it wasn't in vain wasn't what you would expect. So we know what happened when Paul went there. He, he shared the gospel. People believed the gospel and a church started. But Paul doesn't mention two of those things. He just stops at people heard the gospel. He just kind of stops there. Now, he's on his second missionary journey. And that started in Acts 16. You can read about the details of how it got started. He had some visions from Jesus. Jesus kept him from going into certain countries. He had a vision from a man uh, from Macedonia that led him to Macedonia. He ends up in Philippi, which is about 100 miles east of Thessalonica. So if you think about Dayton, Ohio, that's kind of how far that is, roughly. So in Philippi, God opened a lady's heart named Lydia. And then she opened her home to Paul. And they start to have prayer meetings, and they're, they're getting people baptized. And there was this one slave girl who was demon-possessed. And, and she, uh, she had this gift of fortune-telling. And so she was kind of going around following Paul, and he got annoyed with her, so he heals her. And she loses the gift, which makes her masters mad because they were making money off that gift. And so then they attack Paul and Silas, and they get him a public beating and get him thrown into prison. While they're in prison, they're singing hymns and having a prayer meeting. The jailer gets saved, but the next day, Paul is asked to leave Philippi. So he goes to Thessalonica a few days later, but the story of what happened to him in Philippi had gotten there first. And in comes this battered and bruised man. Um, in, he walks into Thessalonica, kind of proving the stories that the Thessalonians had heard. So Paul, at this point, Paul has a lot of reasons just to go home. You know, he's been, he's been treated awfully. He's, he's, he's facing all this, all this conflict. And so he had a lot of reasons to stop speaking about Jesus into the darkness of people's hearts. But he didn't go home. And he didn't stop speaking. He was faithful to his calling. So this is going to be true for any follower of Jesus. And this right here. Success is not fruitfulness. Success for believers is faithfulness okay success is not fruitfulness success is faithfulness paul's visit didn't fail because he he didn't quit after what happened in philippi instead god gave him the courage and the boldness to keep doing what he did in philippi in thessalonica that got him in trouble in the first place so he keeps doing it he shares the good news that jesus christ came to die to save sinners and he conquered the grave. That was what he was sharing. He was sharing that with people who had never heard that before. And he was sharing it with people who had heard about Jesus but didn't understand who he was and what he had done. That was his calling. Do you know what your calling is? As a believer in Christ, do you know what he has called you to do? Now, the Bible says that we've been called into a relationship with Jesus. We've been called into a relationship with each other. We have been called into peace and into freedom and into hope and into transformation and into suffering. The Bible says we're called into all of those things. Followers of Christ also share a calling to go into all the nation and make disciples into all the nations, make disciples, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We share that calling. Now, that doesn't mean that, <clears throat> that everyone is going to get a call to work in the church. 
but it does mean that everyone is called to the work of the church. Everyone. So Paul was given this specific calling, utilizing his character, his training, his experience, his passion. He got this specific calling to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And not, not everybody is going to get like a Damascus Road kind of experience where you hear from Jesus audibly, hey, this is what I want you to do. You know, you don't get that burning bush experience like Moses got to, to say, here's what, here's what your life's going to look like. So we don't always uh, get that. It, it's, it's, I think, possible, but I don't think it happens very often. Normally, for us, um, we're going to have this um, discovery process, trying to figure out what God wants us wants us to do so we've got really a general calling for believers what we're all called to do and then we get specific callings and as we as we say yes to the general calling as we're faithful to what we read in the bible and what he wants us to do then um, god stirs things in us and he gifts us as we get to know him as we get to know how faithful he is and he prepares us for things that he has planned for us to do now, Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I, I really believe that's talking about that general and that specific. So the general call for believers, God's got good works planned for us to do, but also there's specific things, unique things that he's created specifically for you to do. And, you know, God has made us different people. Uh, but we got the same Holy Spirit in us. And so, you know, the gifts that he gives, sometimes are th- they're the same to, to, to different people. And so as, as we are uh, working out that calling, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to maybe use my gift of serving somewhere. And if you came along with me and you had to get the serving, you're going to use it differently than I would. And you'll actually bless different people than I would because we're different people. So that's kind of how it goes. This past Thursday, I met a guy named Doug, and he worked at an automobile dealership. He was the service manager by day, but by night, a couple of times a week and on the weekends, he was a missionary to the outlaw biker gang. So I got to talk to him for a few minutes, and, and I found out just in the, just the few minutes that God had given him the experiences in his life as a Marine and the gifts in his life and the, and, and the, and the passion in his life to, to be someone that could walk into that community and be accepted by them. And so just a five-minute conversation, I could tell he had found the calling that God had placed on his life. And I could also tell that it was difficult. You know, because I said something like, isn't it great to be right in the center of God's will? And he goes, yeah, I don't know, man. Coming home at 3.30 in the morning on a Saturday after spending eight hours in a smoke-filled, raucous biker club is not easy. <laughs> so I promised him that I would pray for him, and I want you to pray for him too. His name is Doug, and he's going into biker clubs trying to show those guys that Jesus is real and he can change their life. He's a next-level kind of guy. We need to pray that he would have courage and boldness and perseverance. Figuring out your calling, it's discovery. It's, it's saying yes to opportunities that God brings along. Now, here's the thing about these opportunities. They are going to take you outside your comfort zone. You know, they require faith. But as you obey, as you say yes to those opportunities, you experience God's faithfulness and how he provides for you as you walk in those opportunities. You get confirmation from others that you're in the right place, doing the right thing. And when all those things kind of come together, you get this confirmation inside. You're, 
You're where God wants you to be. Success will come as you are faithful to your calling. No matter what comes, no matter what happens, no matter how hard it gets, success will come if you are faithful to your calling. And trust me, stuff's going to come. Stuff is going to come. Paul met conflict in Thessalonica too, just like Philippi. And I was thinking, I can't think of a place he didn't go that he didn't run into opposition. And then you kind of look at what he did and where he went. In fact, in the, in the second, second Corinthians chapter 11, he kind of recounts all of the things he faced. I thought, just, just listen to this. this. Verses 23 to 29, he says, I've worked harder been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced dangers in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring my sleepless, many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep warm. And then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the church. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray that I do not burn with anger? Wow. I mean, it would take just one of those things to knock me out. Look what God did through this guy. Now, I think it's safe to say that, you know, um, very few people, I guess, are going to have to endure that kind of opposition. But the truth is, if you're a believer and you're following God want to be faithful to your calling, you're going to have to face opposition. It will happen. I mean, I remember 20 years ago when we started in the ministry, I tell people my life before ministry was Disneyland compared to, you know, life in the ministry because Satan comes at you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And he does not want people to succeed, to be faithful, to prove that God is real and and really God. And so the temptation to quit, it's always there. You know, it's always kind of dangled in front of you. You know, you, you're, you're working in ministry and, and you see people living the easy life. You know, I know life for people isn't easy. But, you know, in ministry, it's like, well, look at all those other people. Look how good they got it, you know. How can I keep doing this? How can I keep sacrificing? How can I keep praying and serving? Look at the apathy. Look at the unbelief. Look at the distraction. Why don't people really care about God? All these things kind of build up and they can build up every single day. And you say, God, I can't do this one more day. And then he shows up. (laughs) And he shows up and he gives you what you need. He gives you the courage and the boldness and the faithfulness to go one more day. He doesn't give it to you to go 10 more days or 20 more days. It's just one day at a time. One day at a time is all you get. Because that's all we get. And we end up speaking up for Jesus. We end up standing firm for him. We offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. One more day. That's success for a believer. It's a habit of next level people to be faithful to your calling. It's also a habit of next level people to be mindful of your purpose. Be mindful of your purpose. In verse 4, Paul says what his purpose in being there was. It was to please God 
and not man. God had made them messengers. He'd given them the gospel message and him. And he was sharing that with, with people. So when in God doing that and God giving him something to do, he was, he was approving of Paul. He was giving them responsibility. They took it on to share that message in the right way for the right reasons. And they knew that God was the one who was testing their hearts. You know, it, it's, not just, it's not just being faithful to your calling, but there's a way to be faithful to your calling. And there's a purpose in, in, in all of that. Paul mentions some ways that the preaching or the ministry can go wrong. Okay, he says that our message wasn't rooted in air. You know, if your message is rooted in air, you're off purpose. And you know what? It, it happens. It's very prominent in America that there is a, a gospel message rooted in air. It's called the prosperity gospel. You know, if you're listening to somebody and they say, hey, Jesus saves and your miracle's right around the corner, your blessings aren't coming with the sun, you know, whatever, turn the TV off. Walk away from that church because it's not a church. They're preaching a false gospel. It's Jesus saves, nothing more. It's Jesus plus nothing. All you need is Jesus. If there's any self-interest in preaching the gospel, we are missing the mark with God. Ministry is first about pleasing God and then about blessing another people and zero about us. And that's the way it has to be for it to work. If, if, people, if people get a hint that there's anything in it for, for me, any gain I'm getting from this, anything like that, my reputation gets ruined and God's, get, God's gets ruined with, with them. Paul was not in it for himself. He also talked about trickery, you know, that, uh, that there can't be any bait and switch going on with people when it comes to sharing the gospel with them or, or doing ministry with them. Um, they can't feel like they've been duped or tricked into believing. So when we get a chance to witness to somebody, when we get a chance to share spiritual things with them, just be up front with them and tell them, I'm a Jesus freak. If you want to talk about spiritual things, I'd love to talk about that with you. People respond to that. They'll go, they'll go for truth. It's God's message, and it's God's mission, and God will work if we will stay on purpose. Now, in five, verses 5 and 6, Paul mentions three, three prizes that tempt us that will get us off purpose, and it's, it's man's acceptance, man's money, and man's praise. He says, we didn't try to win you with flattery. You know, so flattery is, is insincere praise over someone to get them to accept you or to get something from them. And so it's really easy to slip into trying to get someone to accept you before they accept Christ. Really easy to slip into that. So man's acceptance is one of those prizes that we struggle with. Paul says we weren't there to get rich. So that they never, they never took an offering in Thessalonica. You know? And so when ministry becomes about money, we lose our opportunity for mission every time. And then in verse 6, it's about man's praise. God can't share the spotlight with you. You know, he can't. He won't. It's either going to be about him or it's going to be about you. And the big temptation is that when we get the attention of people, you know, to, to try and get their applause. But Paul wasn't trying to get their applause. He was working for God's applause. 
So the pursuit of any of these prizes will take us off purpose wherever God has put us and whoever God has put us with to witness to. Next level people keep their purpose in mind all the time to glorify God and enjoy Him forever because His prizes far outweigh anything man could offer us. Okay, God's approval is way better than man's acceptance every time. Now, you may not be a popular person. You may not have a lot of friends. You may have people walking away from you, but you will have peace with God if you're living for God's approval instead of man's approval. God's reward beats man's money every time. Jesus says, store up yourself treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Cannot serve two masters. Can't serve both God and money. When you don't need man's money, we are free to love them for them because we don't need anything from them. It's one of the reasons we don't take an offering here. We don't want their money. We want you. That's what we want. God's applause beats man's applause all the time. So in the eyes of man, we might look like a failure. Think about Paul limping into Thessalonica, bruised and beaten from his Philippi. I mean, he didn't look like a winner. He looked like he lost. But in God's eyes, he was a winner. He, he, he was a winner. You know, I think about people driving by living streams, and I think, you know, you compare us to some other churches out there, and it doesn't look like anything's going on here. You know? How could anything be going on there? It's so small, it looks like a house. I mean, they got a chimney, it doesn't do anything. But I'll tell you this in God's eyes, we're a beautiful church. We're a beautiful church. So are you in the habit of remembering your purpose? Are you in the habit of remembering your purpose? When you go to work, when you go to school, uh, when you do your Zoom meetings, you know, whatever it looks like. Uh, When you're at the store, talking to your neighbor, when you're posting on social media, when it's less about us, more about him, when we're after God's approval, not man's, you know, working, living to please God, not man, is a habit of next level people. And then habit number three, be attentive to your relationships. Be attentive to your relationships. In verses 7 to 12, Paul remembers how he acted while he was with them, when, when he was there. He writes, my, my apostolic position that God has given me, you know, put me in a position to ask things from you. I had the right to ask you to take care of me, but we didn't do that. We acted like a mother instead with a nursing child, and we were gentle among you. We had a genuine affection for you. We didn't just share the gospel message, but we shared ourselves too. You were dear to us. We loved you. And we didn't want to be a burden to you at all in any way, so we worked night and day taking care of our own expenses while we did ministry among you. And you saw how we lived, and God is our witness. We lived holy. We live righteous, we live devout and honest toward all of you believers. We acted like your dad, spurring you on, cheering you on to live a life worthy of God. He's the one who called you into into his kingdom, into into his glory. So next level people make make their relationships a high priority in their lives. See, there's only two things that are going to outlast this world. You know what they are? The word of God and the souls of people. That's it. Everything else is burning up. So next level people make relationships a high priority in their lives. When you are given a relationship in your life where you are able to share about spiritual things and there's this intimacy in the spirit that you can, that you can have, that is such a huge gift in your life. It's something to take care of. And when 
so one of the, the, the first two habits that we looked at, you know, the first two habits, fulfill your calling, um, mindful of your purpose, those two make this one work. They keep this one from getting out of whack. Okay, so when God is in his rightful place in your life, and we're about pleasing him, and we're about being obedient to what he wants, people are no longer there for us, but we are there for them. And so Paul, he didn't want to be a burden on the Thessalonians in, in any way. So he made no demands. He was gentle, protective, and he trusted them with his true self. He says he worked day and night while he was there to support himself. And he worked hard to provide them an example to follow. He showed them what he was teaching them. So his witness backed up his words. And that gave him the opportunity to speak into their life like a dad. You know, urging, pleading, spurring. Live a life worthy of God. So all that kind of supports that saying that people don't know, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Heard that before? And so since our lives are in Jesus' hands, we're in good hands, then we can make the first move with people and trust ourselves to them. We can, we can give ourselves to people. And so what that means is in, 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 a, in a relationship is that we take on some of the things that they've got. You know, their problems become our problems. Their hurts become our hurts. Their struggles become our struggles. We are giving ourselves to them. You know, a, a mother has no problem giving herself to her children. And Paul, he's using the littlest person to make the point, a nursing child. You know, a mom's not going to ask a little child to be the adult and take care of her. This little child is depending on mom for everything, for everything. She's there to love them, to feed them, protect them, and, and help them grow. So everything we do in our relationships that we have, it ought to be for the other's good and not worry about them giving back to us what we can get from them, how they make us feel. This is about them. It's about blessing them, about their growth, about taking care of them, just like a mom with a nursing child. We don't give so so we can get something like man's acceptance, treasure, and applause. Why do we love? Why do we love? Because he first loved us. That's why we do it. So Paul also made a reference to being like a father. So I, I don't know if it was basketball game that was on my mind, but I thought, you know, think, think of a dad in the stands rooting on a son or daughter who's playing in a, in a basketball game, and he's shouting encouragement, you know, when shots are missed. Uh, he's cheering when there's a steal or good defense made. He's rooting them on when they're tired, end of the game. You can make it, keep going. You can win. But it doesn't stop at the game. It goes home in the driveway. They're working on free throws out, you know, during the week. They're, they're honing skills while they're playing one-on-one. Dad's interested in what the kid is interested in. Well, you can translate that to our spiritual lives. You know, being, being a mom and being a dad, when you're done at home, being a mom and a dad, you don't have to be done being a mom and dad. You can keep doing it at church. You can keep doing it at church. There's caring and nurturing to do. At church, there's coaching and spurring and teaching to do because we're trying to walk with God. There's an example to provide that gives support. Next level people won't just be parents to children under their own roof. They will have a lot of spiritual children as their parental instincts continue to be used in discipleship relationships. Because we're all trying to walk. We're all trying, all trying to follow him. Now, relationships are hard. 
And I, I've said, you know, being in uh, ministry for 20 years and uh, being a lot, first at the beginning of that was small group ministry and uh, men's ministry, a lot of marriage stuff. And, you know, ministry, relationships are hard. And in America, we don't do relationships very good. Uh, we're mobile people. We're always moving, you know. Um, so there's a lot of things. And sin, you know, you bring sin in there, and that really blows, blows it up. But you know what? Relationships are the God-ordained way to grow the kingdom in us and through us. And our past hurts, our past betrayals, the wounds that we receive from people, they, they stop us from really giving ourselves to people, from having true relationships. And that is a natural response when we get hurt, to put up walls around our hearts, you know, because we don't want to get hurt again, not let anybody get close. But it doesn't then meet the need that we all have for connection with, with other people. And so that's just like regular life, you know. A, a year ago, that's all we had to worry about. But now we got this pandemic thing, you know, and we, we've been doing almost a year staying away from each other. And so what's happening in our lives uh, is that this pandemic is making our relationships shallow. All right, this is, it's happening. Virtually connecting with people is a nice way to stay in touch. But when it comes to the work of the church and how God wants to work in us and through us, at some point, we got to start getting back together, whether it's safe or not. We can't allow fear to keep us from each other. You know, growing up, we had a fireplace in most of our houses. I think maybe maybe all of them. I don't remember. It seemed like we had a fireplace because we had a, a fire all the time. And so it seemed to me that, uh, you know, one of my favorite things that coming out of my childhood is my favorite thing, build a fire, sit by the fire, and even tend the fire. I really love that. And, you know, in the house that I live in now, that I've lived longer than anywhere I've ever had in my whole life, I don't have a fireplace. So what I have resorted to do is to put a fireplace on the TV, you know, with, uh, with YouTube videos, you know, jazz music going, you know. And I can sit there by the TV and I can look at the fire. I can hear the fire. But it's just not the same as a real fire. You know what I mean? It can't do what a real fire can do. It can't provide the warmth and the comfort that a real fire does. And so there are reasons that Jesus came in the flesh. One of them is that human beings need human contact. And as hard as our relationships can be with sin, and now with the pandemic, This is how discipleship gets done. And if we continue with our now habit of connecting virtually with each other, we might keep ourselves physically healthy, but we'll find that our spiritual health is in decline. And we will not be doing what the Bible calls church. The very meaning of the word is gathering. Do you want a virtual fire in your heart? Or do you want a real fire? You know, I've never been more glad that together is part of our church's vision. 
their church leadership gurus are telling pastors now, you got to get ready for the new normal because even when all this is gone, people aren't going to come back because it's too easy to stay home and watch church online. I'd rather give 45 minutes than four hours. It's just easier. It's safer. Well, I can, I can understand that. It's really, not, it's really not new. And I can make allowances for that, but I promise you that I will never stop fighting against it. Because next level people make relationships a priority and being together in the flesh is not a nicety for the kingdom. It's a necessity. It's a necessity. So if we're going to be obedient to God, fulfill our calling, stay on purpose, we're going to have to trust Him, not just with our souls, but with our bodies too. You know, I'm reading some things now about the new strain of COVID. Okay? More infectious. All that business. I've heard words like a perpetual infectious state. Like this isn't going away. What are we going to do if that happens? How are we going to do church? How are we going to love one another? How are we going to follow Jesus in that kind of environment? It cannot be the way we're doing it now. We're going to have to let our faith win out over our fear. I'm ready for heaven. Are you? There is a power when it comes to relationships in our spiritual lives. Here's an example. There's some research done about youth who stick with their faith once they're no longer a youth. Okay, And they found three things, three factors, more than anything else that made that happen in, in a kid's life. The first one was that a young person's parents practice their faith at home and in their daily life and not just in, in the public church settings. So, you know, God gives a responsibility to pass on faith to the children, to mom and dad. That's how he did it. So it's no wonder our families are so messed up by sin and Satan. I mean, that's just, that's the foundation of passing it on. The second thing is this young person had at least one significant adult, mentor or friend, other than a parent, who practiced their faith on a regular basis. And the third was that this young person had at least one significant spiritual experience before the age of 17. So in other words, teenagers are most likely to stick with it after they're not with, not, after they're not a teenager anymore. If their parents had a, a healthy relationship with God that they saw lived out in front of them, and that they had another mentor outside the family, and they had a relationship with God, all of those things are relationships. And the right music, the right program, the right class, the right camp—you know—all those things happen. The cool pastor. <laughs> but none of them make a statistically significant difference in kids sticking, staying with their faith. It's all about relationships with God and with each other, which is why next level people make a habit of being attentive to those relationships in their life. All right, let's have our worship team come back up. We're going to bump those two other habits to next week. A lot to digest right here. Be faithful to your calling. Be mindful of your purpose. Be attentive to your relationships. 
How are you doing with just those three? Just those three there. They are not easy habits to maintain, pandemic or not. <laughs> do, you, do you know your calling? Are you in a discovery process of figuring out what that is? Are you locked in on your purpose to glorify God, to please Him in your life? Are your relationships helping you fulfill that calling and accomplish that purpose? So to to make these behaviors habits in your life, pandemic or not, we have to stop listening to our fear say to us, what if? What if, what if this happens if I speak up? What if this happens if I show up to this group? What if this happens? That's fear speaking. And we've got to start listening to our faith say, even if. Even if. Even, even if this happens. So I'm going to speak up for Jesus even if I lose a friend. Or even if I lose my job. I'm going to be faithful to him. I'm going to live to please God in word and deed, even if I become a target for bullying or abuse. I'm going to get face-to-face with people, even if I get sick, even if that takes me home, I'm ready for it. And if we're not ready for it, what's wrong? Why not? So which way is it going in your life today? Is there more what-ifs? Or is there more even ifs? Listen to the Holy Spirit. Look at this word and do the next thing you know to be right. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, you are the lion and the lamb. We love your promises to us. And you're going to come back one day. You're going to change everything. Turn the whole world upside down. Start that recreation process where our, everything becomes new. You say, I, make, I will make all things new. This world, heaven, uh, us. So, Lord, thank you for your promises. Thank you for being the only king forever. And we thank you for your grace that is there for us to, to, to access, to walk through this life. And, Lord, we need it so badly. We need it so badly. We want to be that Paul who's faithful to his calling. Even though he gets beat up on Saturday, he still shows up on Sunday. We want to be that person, Lord. We want to be that person who speaks to please you all the time, who loves at our own expense, who makes your ministry the, the thing in our lives, Lord. But we don't get there, and we need your forgiveness, and we need your help. We need your Holy Spirit to fill us and to move us, to help us overcome. You did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love. And so, Lord, as you send us out today back to this fearful world, use us, shine your light through us into the darkness. Help us to be faithful. Help us to follow. We love you and we want to love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Don't forget prayer on Wednesday night.